Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. When Linda McGibbon moved from Moncton to a high-rise in Toronto, she asked herself what would happen if she actually tried to love her neighbor in person, indeed, and in a high-rise. I'm Karen Stiller, and I spoke with Linda about what she learned from her experiment, which she calls both social and theological, and an experiment that became a way of life. It also became an IVP book, published this spring, called My Vertical Neighborhood, How Strangers Became a Community. Linda also has an article exploring hospitality in the May-June issue of Faith Today, which you can now subscribe to for free. So please enjoy this, and then that. So Linda, you moved from Moncton, New Brunswick to Toronto. And when you did that, you, uh, if I'm understanding, wanted to really engage in loving your neighbor in a way that you'd been thinking about, uh, but hadn't really quite figured out yet. Can you walk us through a little bit of that story? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, You know, I think for me, it really started with a question that, you know, that why question, start with why. For a long time, before I moved to Toronto, I had actually been thinking about what it would look like to truly love your neighbor, like to really engage with the people around you. And that that all started for me because I heard um, Michael Frost, who wrote the book Incarnate, from, he's from Australia, a missiologist. I heard him speak at a Canadian Youth Workers Conference, and he talked about moving into a neighborhood, really embodying love, in the things that he did. I was quite inspired by his story and it never left me. And that was probably, oh, six or seven years before I moved to Toronto. This this question of how do you do this? How do you really expand your life so that you have room in it for, for neighbors, for anybody you might bump up against? So when I moved to Toronto, I realized I had a bit of a clean slate. Like I didn't have a good big collection of friends. I was going into a new neighborhood. I didn't have patterns already set up in my life. So when I came to Toronto, I, I think I really brought this question with me and a, an opportunity to say, what if I put neighbors first in all the ways I set up patterns in Toronto? What if neighbors are the people who I try to make the center of my friendship circle? What if that's the where I start with time? All of those things, it occurred to me, I could do because I was moving here with this kind of blank slate. Yeah. So I think in the book, I refer to it as a bit, maybe a social experiment, but more more really a theological question for me, because I was curious, like, why did God give us this commandment that's so important? Yeah, okay, so... Why? Why did he? <laughs> I'd love to know, um, because what I'm sensing is that, um, well, first of all, you were talking about your literal neighbors, right? You're, you yeah. were talking about the people with whom you shared living space. That's right. So to speak. And yeah. for you, that was a high rise apartment. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but you weren't, I don't think, trying to love them to uh, evangelize them necessarily, uh, which is, I think, the first place sometimes we might go to as Christians, that that is why you're loving your neighbor. So can you speak to that? Sure. I, um, I think that's true. I think that was, you know, that was certainly tied up in it for me, because as followers of Jesus, we have the Great Commission you know, go into the world and make disciples. And certainly I've been raised in the Christian church to have that as very important. Um, So I I think probably at the beginning, I suspected that would be a big part of what I was about. But as I began living into it, 
I realized the call to love neighbors is is actually much bigger. And so I, I don't know, maybe you can't really say that um, helping people find their way to be followers of Jesus is any is a smaller thing than anything else in the world. But loving yeah. people, um, figuring out what that actually means, what does the word love mean in relation to neighbors? And I did start out with wanting to figure this out in my high-rise building. So who would the people be that I would connect with? I think that I have learned through the experience of trying to live into this commandment that it doesn't necessarily mean it's the people in my high rise. It's kind of whoever I bump up against whenever, who is present in front of me at any given moment. And back to your question about, well, why should we? I think it changes the way we look at the world. It changes the way we look at ourselves. It, for me, it changed the way I looked at time my own priorities, uh, what would bring gift to my life or what would make my life good. It changed everything in a way that is really good. Oh. Sometimes hard, but ultimately I think it was really healthy and good. So you found yourself in this high rise. Um, how did you love your neighbor then? How did you open your door to your apartment and welcome people in? Yeah, it helped that a, a, a friend and a colleague of mine moved into the building a year after I did. So for the first year, I was trying, you know, I would go to the condo meetings and I would, I joined a gardening committee and I would speak to people in the, in the elevators. Um, but I, I felt like nothing was really moving, nothing was really happening beyond I was being a friendly person. And which I think is really important that we actually are friendly people, <laughs> sort of open ourselves to receiving people. Um, lately, I've been thinking about that on a lot, a lot while we're in the, in the pandemic. Like, how do I put myself out there as a friendly person when I'm out for a walk? How might I look to other people? How might they feel like I could be receiving them or they receive me? Yeah. But what happened when my, my friend uh, moved into the building um, was she had a, also a heart for reaching out, loving people, meeting neighbors, meeting people. And we started to do things together. And it was much, much easier to do things with somebody else than alone. So we, yes. you know, the first thing we did was hosted a potluck dinner on our floor and invited all our neighbors to come to that. And people did. People came. And, um, you know, we had a great evening. They, that was sort of the first thing that was enabled us to actually get to know people, know their names. Yeah, but that were was you, just the beginning. Were your guests kind of perplexed about why you would do that? Um, or or was it, did it feel kind of normal to them? You know, what they all said, I think about 13 people came to that first potluck and they all said as they were leaving, basically, thank you so much. Like I've always wanted to meet people. I really appreciate that you did this. So I think they were just grateful that somebody had taken the initiative. Okay. And one of the things I've learned as I've been living this out and, and also as I've been reading, writing the book, but also reading books of, that other people have written about why I love neighbors um, is the idea that as Christians, we're, we, we can kind of become the, the tendons or the sinew of a neighborhood, or we can be the initiators because God has given us this commandment. So I, I've stopped thinking about other people wishing they would initiate and realizing, oh, it's actually part of the commandment of loving my neighbor is to initiate love. Okay. So um, they were all really grateful. Um, 
very few people, there were a few people in my, in my circle of friends in the condo through the years who have initiated, who, who really were the kind of people who wanted to actually show hospitality, whether or not it stemmed from them being followers of Jesus or not. But for the most part, it wasn't other people initiating. That's really interesting. So at, at any point, were you the two weird Christian ladies? <laughs> Most of the time we were. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it was very easy for people to know we were Christians, first of all, because we both worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. So when people would ask us what we did, they very quickly discovered we worked for a Christian organization, therefore we must be Christians. People often wondered, like, why are you doing this? Sometimes they would ask us if we had an agenda. Sometimes people wouldn't come. Um, after our first potluck dinner, we initiated an open door Monday night dinner. So every single Monday night for about five years, we had an open door dinner. Anybody was welcome to come. And people wow. were welcome to, to invite friends. And sometimes people would tell me, well, I invited a friend, but she didn't want to come. She thinks we're weird or she thinks there must be an agenda to this, which is understandable in our society. Yeah. I mean, how do you get past that when at, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, we acknowledged that there is kind of an agenda in a way, but, but yet, of course, when that's like overtly there or even top of mind for us, it just goes south pretty quickly usually. Yes. I think that one of the things that was helpful to me is a couple of the neighbors I met within the first two years were bold and unfiltered and would ask me anything and challenge me in my thinking. And one of the delightful things about our Monday night dinners on one hand is we really didn't have any rules. Like we could talk about anything, anybody could come, which made some people uncomfortable and they didn't come back. But for people who were interested, engaging in real conversation, um, really lively conversation, they kept coming. So I think that I, you know, some of my neighbors did, ch- I mean, I had to have the conversations like, why are you doing this? Do you actually believe this? What's going on for you? And so for me, that caused me to have to also ask myself those questions. Well, why am I really doing this? Yeah. Am I yeah. doing it so that people will follow Jesus or am I simply doing it because it's God's commandment to love? That is so interesting. I, I, I was thinking as you were speaking there, Linda, I wrote an article um, for a secular publication a magazine about loving neighbor during covid and the editor kept coming back to me with the why but why but why did you do that and finally i i worked it into the text that you know we've been we try to be a household that loves our neighbors neighbors as ourselves and in a way i was using it as kind of a a writing uh-huh you know thing because even in our culture uh, i think everyone still maybe knows that that phrase <laughs> and so yeah. she accepted that but it, it was interesting to me that uh, it wasn't obvious that why we would reach out to our neighbors did you come upon that kind of sort of resistance of um you know why are you being so friendly even yes. knowing they that even with them knowing you are christians yes definitely although i think that the more people got to know us they also got to know our flat sides Okay. They got to see us being tired or they got to see us not hosting on a Monday night or shooing everybody out of the house at nine o'clock because it was like I had to work the next day. So the longer we were around people, I think the more they could see, huh, I think there's a realness to what I'm experiencing here. 
Yeah, I'd like you to speak to that, if you would, about being real, because I think if we start out on agenda or on mission, it's very easy to think that, you know, we need to be presenting our very best selves all the time and not ever be cranky or grumpy or or off-putting in any way because the gospel is at stake. So can you speak to that, Linda? I think it has to do with trusting that God is going to actually be the one who works through whatever we do. And so even if I fail, that I'm following this commandment to do my best to love my neighbor as me as a human. And it's actually more helpful for people to see me fail, to actually know that I'm not this kind of, that Christianity doesn't solve all my problems, doesn't make everything beautiful and good. Um, I think it makes life truly for me beautiful and good ultimately, but it doesn't mean that I won't have an argument with my, with my friend who was hosting with me or that we won't have a challenging conversation. It doesn't mean that I won't be tired and not want to host on a Monday night or eventually when we stopped doing it after five years to say to people, yeah, we're not doing it anymore and have them kind of say, well, why, why would you give this up? Shouldn't you still be doing this forever? And, and to have to come to terms with, well, I, I think it's done. Like, I think we did this thing and, and it's time to do something else. It doesn't mean I stop trying to figure out what does loving my neighbor look like today. Anything that becomes kind of rote for us or becomes this, this tradition or this way of like, rules to work out what it means to embody love or embody kindness. I think we're always in danger then of it becoming, um, for for want of a better word, a legalistic thing we can check off. Oh, now I've lived that way. It's like, like I've done that. So I must be following God the way God wants me to follow him. But if instead I'm asking God, like, how do I love my neighbor when I don't actually want to spend time with them today or how do I um, hang in with this person or if they disappear out of my life, you know, people move on. What does that look like for me? Have I failed because I haven't been able to keep the friendship going? And ultimately I think I've learned, no, it's not about that. It, It really is about who we are in any given moment at any given time with any given person. Hmm. What, am I living like in this moment? What are my choices? And yeah, there's such an intentionality about what you did, even to the point that you got, you know, a blessing sort of from your pastor when you moved to Toronto and you said, this is what I'm going to be doing. It makes me think of the number of Christians, and I definitely would have fit into this category at different times in my life, who can only name other Christians as their friends Mm -hmm. um, and as their, you know, community. And I wonder if you could challenge us on that, because I think it's so easy to slip into that kind of safe place of community and think that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, or even if we don't think that's what we're supposed to be doing, we slip into it because it's how we order our time. So one of the things that was helpful for me when I moved here was, again, I didn't have responsibilities in a church already. Um, I didn't have a Bible study group I was already going to. I didn't have a circle of Christian friends, so it gave me a bit of a fresh start. No, we don't always need, you know, sometimes I think we can just be bold and step back and say, I'm not going to be involved in as many Christian things because I need time in my life for the people God might want to bring into my life or Mm -hmm. where any of those engagements might go. You know, in the story of the Good Samaritan, 
he had to to stop you know care for that wounded man pick him up deliver him somewhere take the time to make arrangements like he went off course in order to care for the person who was right in front of him so when i when i moved here I decided I wouldn't look for, you know, my community at a church, which is what I'd always done. Everywhere I moved, I'd moved four or five times in my past. And it was always my first step because that felt like the right and good thing to do. And maybe in another situation for me, it would be. But I think I would always now not fill up my time with Christians or Christian activities, but actually say, can I, is there time for me? to really be interrupted. So my pastor in the church mm. that I attend here in, in Toronto was, um, I mean, God obviously knew what he was doing in terms of connecting me into that church because the pastor was extremely supportive. And I told him, you know, I'm not, I'm probably not going to be here more than one or two Sundays a week. And I'm not going to join any committees or the choir or teach Sunday school, <laughs> at least not right now. And yeah. he just said, bless you in that. And how can we pray for you? how I, I love that you're trying to meet your neighbors. That's cool. And eventually I did, you know, lead a summer Bible study for university students. And eventually I did teach Sunday school and eventually I did join a committee, but it was like, I was adding in my Christian commitments um, around the calendar of my life. That was for my neighborhood. Now I'm working full time for a Christian organization, so I'm spending all day, eight hours a day, right, in the pursuit of things that are, you know, Christian. <laughs> but, sure, sure. Um, but I think that's the the one of the biggest lessons for me is I had it backwards. I started um, from at least I knew that I couldn't start from the same place when I made this move because okay. I very clearly felt God saying to me, I'm giving you an opportunity to start in a different place and see what happens. You know, maybe in the course of my life, it was actually fine that I started with church when I was a 20 something starting in my career and needing, you know, Christians around me who could disciple me and encourage me. Hmm. So I, I think I wouldn't ever want to say this is everybody's story all the time, but at different times in our lives, it well maybe the story God's calling us to. And I think at any time in our life, God is always asking us to question, have you filled your life up so much with the things that you think are about serving me that you've missed this first and greatest commandment? Yeah, I love that. I love that that idea also that you can do a reset at any time, right? You can hit pause and think, how am I spending my time? Um, what else could I be doing? Maybe like a, a few, this was a number of years ago, but I realized that all my volunteer energy and time was being poured into my local church, which I think is like wonderful, of course. But I thought, mm, I think because my husband was the pastor, I felt like I wasn't ever able to be completely pure in my motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I didn't, slow down I probably should have but anyway I then started volunteering for Meals on Wheels and being a therapy dog visitor or whatever like intentionally thinking I want to give without any thought that I'm actually going to get back you know something that benefits something we're involved in and it, I really loved doing it and of course I was blessed of course. <laughs> yeah of course um, so I did want to ask you about the reciprocity part of this because so much of um what I think you were exploring in your experiment, but also theologically, was the the nature of hospitality. 
and that we sometimes as Christians think we are the we are the givers like we put ourselves in that position and and we are but maybe don't receive so well can you speak to that about kind of a true relationship question I think there's a reasonableness that as Christians we do seek to give I mean that is we're following Jesus we're following this you know the way we're not just believing it's not just a set of beliefs for us it actually we act out what we believe and you know back to the whole the, the, the comment earlier that I, I quoted I think it's Tim Sorens who talks about Christians being the tendons or the sinews in a neighborhood mm. like we can actually make it a healthier place only because we have discovered something about what it means to follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit helps us do that so but everybody every human is made in the image of God and therefore every human has the capacity to actually make this world a better place that actually make a neighborhood better. And while I think I didn't realize that was going to be so true when I started on this, you know, the, the answer to this theological question or this little experiment, what I discovered was it absolutely was true. So some of my friends that I've met um, have taught me more about what it means to be forgiven or as much of what it means to be forgiven as I've ever encountered in a Christian relationship. So, you know, in, in the book, I tell a story about really saying something that I didn't mean to be unkind. I meant it to be a joke to one of my neighbors about a situation we've been in, but he was very hurt by it. And I yeah. needed to go to him and ask for his forgiveness. And he forgave me immediately. Mm. And we went on to have a, a wonderful friendship. So, he, you know, I see in him the image of God who forgives in yeah. that person and I receive it from him and somehow being forgiven by him is every much as significant in my life as being forgiven by a Christian friend who has thought a lot about what forgiveness means. Sure. So I think the reciprocity piece is part of recognizing, oh, everybody is like humans are made in the image of God we all have the capacity in us to live out the things of God, whether we have given our lives to Jesus or not, and are following him. There's, there's that in everybody. And, and one of the things I think I discovered over and over again was as people were received and welcomed in, little by little, they would start to extend hospitality themselves. So another friend of mine who always said she would never cook for anybody, she didn't want to do that. Eventually she did, you know, she'd start bringing these lovely salads that she made or eventually invited us to dinner at her place. And I think was surprised herself that she had the courage to do that and yeah. even had the inclination to do it. Yeah, that's so really neat. It's lovely. And I loved receiving those things from my friends yeah. um, as well as giving them to them. And it really shows, of course, of course, we know this, but that we can learn and receive, you know, spiritual lessons from everybody in our lives. And when we put ourselves in those kinds of vulnerable, risky, what may feel risky uh, situations, you know, maybe even more so. Yes, I mean, I think that is probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that God has many, many ways and many, many people through whom he wants me to receive lessons or he wants me to have instruction on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. And again, going back to the parable of the Good Samaritan, I mean, Jesus is choosing someone who is not Jewish as the centerpiece of that story to teach right. us about what it means to love. And so we shouldn't, you know, we often read that story as Christians and thinks, oh, I need to be like that Good Samaritan. 
um, but but maybe we sometimes miss. Oh right, he was a Samaritan. <laughs> I'm yes. not learning this from Jesus himself putting himself in the story, or even the you know the rabbi isn't the one who who we're learning from. Yeah, and further to what we were talking about earlier, maybe sometimes we're the injured person, you Absolutely. know, who, who needs the care. Yeah, yeah. Linda, I'm not trying to crown you the queen of Christian oh, hospitality. <laughs> in Canada today. But uh, at the same time, I think you uh, you obviously learned a lot through this intentional loving of your neighbor. And we're emerging, hopefully, out of this time where we haven't been able to literally love like that. We haven't been able to practice hospitality in the way we typically define hospitality, which is kind of how you and I have been using it today, I think. So I'm, I would love to hear what your post-COVID hospitality plans are. <laughs> and um, just, you know, if you could give us some tips or practical encouragement or something about how we begin to love our neighbors again well as we emerge, hopefully, soon out of this strange time we've been in. Yeah, yeah, I have been thinking about this, actually. Um and it's complicated because we really don't know what we're going to feel like or look like when we do emerge, right? We don't actually know how tired we're going to be ourselves and yeah. how mentally capable we're going to be of actually doing the things we imagine we could do quite easily. But what will that be like for us? Um, so I think a couple of things are, are helpful to me as I think about this. One is... Um, in, in the book, I reference some thinking I did around 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter about what, what is love truly? What does love look like? And, the, you know, the first opening lines of that is love is patient and love is kind. So I think as I think about what would it look like post-pandemic to engage with my neighbors, being patient and being kind are two things that could be good motivating forces for me. What, what does patience look like as, you know, I if I choose to invite someone in and they're still nervous and don't want to come, how do I, how do I live patiently with a person like that? Or what, what is kindness to one another in a post pandemic world? But I also think again, coming back to being a Christian who truly wants to live by loving my neighbor, you know, people all talk about, well, we're going to throw big dinner parties when COVID said, we all just can't wait to get back and have a dinner party together. Well, I hope that Christians are, among those who are really throwing these parties and being yeah. the initiators. So, you know, being the first, the first out of the gate to do that might be an important thing that we can do. Simple. But I also think if you think about whoever is in front of you and how do I respond to them with kind of a default inclination to love, what does that look like in any given moment? Then it may just be listening to people's stories of what it's mm. been like or who they've lost we don't even really have a category, I don't think, for how many people have lost people in terms of death and not been able to have the normal kinds of traditional you know, funeral services and celebrations of life that we are used to having. So what will people who've lost people need from each other to, to move through that? What does that look like? How do we make sense of the world that we've just come through? I, I think there's going to be so many needs that people have that a listening ear, a dinner party. Yes. <laughs> um, and then some of the same things that we do today in COVID. You know, I, I think, you know, mostly what I can do these days is go for a walk with one of my neighbor friends 
but I can do that. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's good. You know, and sometimes the pull for me even now is like, oh, I don't really want to go for a walk with anybody. I just want to go for a walk by myself. So letting God challenge me. The same question that he challenged me with as I was meeting my neighbors in pre-COVID times when a friend wanted to spend a whole day with me, not just an hour. Do I allow that? You know, do I give in to that? Do I say yes to that? Because I think that's the call on me at that moment from God. Yeah. What, what else do you have to do today that is better than this? <laughs> and again, that's not from a, a lay in a guilt trip or that we all need to be super Christians because that's not what we need to be. But asking myself, asking ourselves the question, what is God asking me to do in this moment with this person yeah. right in front of me? I think that's really so important because we don't just love when it's easy, right? Right. Yeah. Unfortunately. And, you know, unfortunately. Well, and one of the easiest things we could all do after COVID is we'd be so happy to get back to church, I hope, to worshiping together with groups. Yes. And we could all of a sudden build all kinds of things in that the church is doing for each other. But that's not necessarily where most of people are going to go and find community. Yeah. Um, and even though even Christians who don't find it very easy to find their way back to church, how do we love them? How do we, you know, how are we patient? How are we kind? How are we understanding where people are coming from? What are they, what have they encountered? What is the woundedness in them? And where do they need to be carried? Because I think a lot of the wounds coming out of COVID again will be mental and spiritual. They're not mm -hmm. necessarily physical. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a way of, uh, we'll be loving our neighbor in the pew, hopefully, but also uh, thinking of how we can be more intentionally loving, literally our neighbors, the people around us. Yeah, I think so. Linda, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. It's great to speak with you. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.